Welcome to Statehouse Soundbites, WITF's Pennsylvania Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Meyer, State Capitol Bureau Chief for WITF. You can hear my reports on public radio stations across the state. We're in Little Amp's Coffee Shop today. It is Friday the 15th. It's about 11.18 a.m. And with me is Jason Gottesman of the PLS Reporter and uh, City and State Pennsylvania. Hey. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? Oh, good. I'm glad it's Friday. It was a long, long week. Long, long week. Uh, yeah, so we, we did have a long week. I want to preface this. Usually we have like f- maybe four things on the agenda to talk about today. We have ten, and I feel like we're missing some. Um, <laughs> well, you can't get them all, as they say. You can't get them all. Um, so, yeah, a lot happened today. The legislature was in session, and this was their final week planned to be in session before the end of the year. Yeah. We're not expecting them back till like, what, late, late January? Well, they have to come back constitutionally on the first Tuesday in January, so they will both, both be in uh, January 2nd, but right. most likely just to kind of gavel in and gavel out. Um, but they, I don't think either of them are expected to be back in for their sort of normal operations until January 22nd. And then you have about a four-week run-up to the budget address from the governor, and then they're gone for another two months while they do budget hearings. So we won't be hearing a lot from the legislature probably in the you know, next several months, which is, I think, why there is so much going on this week. Yes. And uh, what did go on this week? So also, I'll say, you had yes. uh, one day where you filed like five stories. Yeah. <laughs> I know you were filing a lot, too. We were talking about that before. Yes, we were filing a lot. But uh, so hopefully we got everything. Um, Most of this stuff was legislative, but there were a couple other items that were not. We'll start with the legislative stuff. So um, we're we're literally just going to go down a list. Um, A couple of big, I think early in the week, a couple of big sexual assault bills uh, got passed. What were those? Well, not not so much passed, but they were introduced. They were being pushed by this group of of, uh, female legislators from both the House and the Senate. you know, this group of about a dozen lawmakers that spoke at this press conference on Monday represented both sides of the aisle. Um, the the main proponent uh, of these bills is one representative, Louis Kruger Branicky, who has uh, the the Me Too legislation, which is an acronym that stands for something, but basically it would uh, stop the taxpayer funded um, by or non disclosure agreements for people in the capital or state government who are accused of sexual assault or harassment and then settle that out of out of uh, out of court and um, then the taxpayers pay for that. Then also Senator Judy Schwank, uh, who's a Democrat out of Berks County in the Senate, and she has uh, Senate Bill nine nine nine, which would um, end going forward the use of non disclosure agreements in private uh, settlements for these things and then in some instances uh, invalidate non disclosure agreements currently in force. So um, there's other bills in there, too, like um, like a task force looking at intimate partner violence on camp- college campuses um, and, and some other things, too. And, you know, the Republicans are actually going to take a little bit of a different approach, I think, and try to bring more transparency into right. how government is, is doing doing these things. So that's, that, that effort is being led by Representative Kristen Phillips-Hill, Republican out of York County, who's also running for uh, Senator Scott Wagner's Senate seat uh, since he's running for governor. And then you also have Representative Alex Charlton from uh, Delaware County. He's a Republican, and Representative Judy Ward, a Republican out of Blair County, kind of leading the Republican effort on some bills too. So you have a, yeah. a couple of different ways of, of getting at of, uh, of getting at this issue, right? Uh, right. But it's it's certainly a hot button issue in the Capitol and and, and in the world today. The yeah, there's a reason why it's coming up this week for sure. And another bill, uh, yeah. a contentious bill that is also coming up this week that passed this week was an abortion bill. This is Senate Bill 3. We've been hearing about this for a long time, and every time it comes up, there's a lot of, you know, advocacy. um, There's a lot of protests about it. 
Um, but what this bill would do is narrow the window for late-term abortions in Pennsylvania. Right now, you can get an abortion until 24 weeks pregnancy. Uh, this would narrow it back down to 20 weeks. You know, the proponents are saying, what, that the medical advances have, you know, enabled a fetus to survive outside the womb for a long or earlier than it could be for. So that's kind of the main thrust of their argument. People who are against it say, you know, this would um, just narrow women's options uh, in the late term of their pregnancy. Say there's a devastating birth defect that they find out about at the 21st week. You know, that they just don't have options then. Right, yeah, I think on both sides of the medical issue here, there's there's people who say, look, we've seen children who have uh, been viable outside of the womb and NICUs after 20 weeks. Right. Um, the medical, you know, medical science has advanced to the point where these uh, these children can live out, outside of the womb uh, at 20 weeks and then live normal lives. But on the other side, you have people who say, look, at 20 weeks is really when they can do the first ultrasound right. that detects whether there's any fetal abnormality or um, some major birth defect that would maybe cause a child to die in utero or uh, shortly after giving birth. And, yeah. um, you know, that this severely limits parent, the, the parent's ability to make a decision as to whether or not to abort the pregnancy. So right. you have that. And, of course, you just have a general, you know, sort of you have the pro-life side and the yeah. pro-choice side, and that's also a play, I too. I was going to say, you know, you know, there are medical reason and reasons behind this bill, mm-hmm. um, although it hasn't gotten hearings this session and it didn't right. last session either i don't think um yeah, I a don't similar remember. bill might have gotten a hearing but this bill never has um, right and but you know the legislature i will say going back to the kermit gosnell uh tragedy that happened in philadelphia held a number of hearings then about ways in which abortion regulation can be changed so yeah. you know it's sort of a perennial issue but you know that hasn't stopped medical associations from voicing their concern over the legislation, you have, I believe, the Pennsylvania Medical uh, Association or Society uh, coming out against the bill. The uh, American College of uh, Obst- Ob- Obstetrics yeah, and yeah, yeah. Gynecology coming out against the bill. Now, there, of course, are uh, like the the Christian and Medical and Dental Association. Yeah, I think most of and, the medical associations that have supported it have been religiously affiliated in some way. Yes. I think that's accurate. Yes, that is accurate. <laughs> But, um, I mean, and I was going to say, I mean, like this medical stuff aside, you know, the actual healthcare policy portion of this aside, it really is an ideological issue. And that's the sense that you get from hearing these floor debates on it. So, anyway, the reason that we're even talking about this, because Governor Wolf has said very, very strongly he's going to veto this bill. Um, but I still think, I mean, like, and I don't think they're going to be able to override the veto. That yeah. seems extremely unlikely. So it's, it's dead. But I think the reason we should probably start talking about this and keep talking about this is that, uh, you know, this is kind of the will of the legislature as it stands right now. It's not even a, you know, a partisan thing necessarily. More Republicans support this, but Democrats vote for it, too, and some Republicans vote against it. So it's not really a it's not a strictly party line situation. And it passes not by veto proof margins, but by close to that. Um, So, I mean, it's not a it's not a close thing. No, it wasn't. It wasn't close, and this is really an issue that broke down more by, on geographic boundaries yeah, there, rather than party boundaries. And um, I think one of the, the other reasons that we need to talk about this too is how this will be used as a weapon, probably from both sides oh, in the upcoming gubernatorial sure. election, because um, you have Go- Governor Tom Wolf, who's been very out in, in, in opposition in front of in the opposition to this legislation, and then of course you have uh, House Speaker Mike Terzai, who's an announced candidate for governor. Speaking in press events and issuing releases about his support for the bill, uh, of course he's he's uh, an outspoken Catholic as well. 
you have Senator Scott Wagner, who, who voted in favor of the bill. Um, and you have, uh, I believe, Paul Mango, who even came out this week and said he would sign the bill if he were governor. <laughs> I don't know if Laura Ellsworth has come out. But, I mean, it's going yeah. to be, you know, something that is talked about. And the reason, you know, that is is because, of course, you have a Republican-led legislature who, with Democratic support, is putting this bill on Governor Wolf's desk with a not very close vote. I mean, it was right. a large majority, though not veto-proof, uh, in the initial votes. And then the governor, who basically is saying that there is no way he would ever sign this piece of legislation. Right. So. It's going to be very important, I think, in the conversation as we get up to the 2018 election as well. It's also one of those issues where when people are framing it, they don't frame it as, I have this perspective, my opponent has another one. They say, I have this perspective, which is correct, and my opponent is evil. Right, yeah. I mean, it, Like, this, that's not an exaggeration. Yeah, this is still one of the most, I mean, abortion-related issues are still one of the most heated and controversial issues in politics today. And um, I really don't think it's a coincidence that... The bill has been brought up now in several consecutive sessions um, as with the Democratic governor. Yeah. Um, you know, it was there last session, it was there this session. And, and I don't think that you, you, you can really dismiss the timing of that um, in terms of the, the, the effects on the political landscape. Absolutely. Um, so that was one of the things that saw the most floor debate this week, yes. like hours and hours of it. Um, another thing that has seen lots of floor debate in the in recent weeks, but has not gone anywhere, uh, sort of a counter to the abortion bill, is uh, a severance tax. Yeah. Keep talking about this darn severance tax. Um, we didn't see a whole lot of the severance tax this week, but we saw it late. Was it what, Wednesday night? No, that was Tuesday night. Oh, God. Tuesday went on for so Tuesday long. Tuesday was like three days <laughs> worth of stuff. It was really crazy. Um, yeah, late Tuesday night this thing came up. Um, and... So as it stands right now, the severance tax would probably make somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 million for the state. That's the revenue projection that's attached to it. Of course, it could vary, and it's right. not final in any way. But I think the point being, it wouldn't be a huge amount of revenue that would come from this tax. No, it's not the $600 million or so that people have projected yeah. from a much higher rate. And it's certainly and, not the billion that Governor Wolf said he wanted two years ago. Right, and an amendment that was introduced by um, John Lawrence, who's a Republican out of Chester County, who, believe it or not, was very... Uh, eloquent, beautifully playing Christmas carols on the uh, the uh, the piano in the rotunda as I walked out of, out of the oh Capitol God. to come here. Uh, actually, capped the amount of revenue that could go from the general from the severance tax to the general fund at 150 million, with oh anything gosh. else going to pay down the pension debt above and beyond the state's noble contribution. So interesting. Um, so anyway, you know, like that, I think but, that's right. So. That, yeah, so there was a lot of you know a lot of things going on with this, but it seems to be kind of a debate that won't die. And this week, uh, if you don't mind me transitioning <laughs> yeah, into ahead. that, um, there was a move by pro-severance tax supporters, who especially southeastern Republicans, who are desperate for kind of a moderate Republican win in order to help protect them in the upcoming election as well, um, brought up this um, a um, uh, special order of business move. So basically. The, the leadership, House, House Majority Leader Dave Reed, did not schedule House Bill 1401, which is the severance tax bill, for a vote this week. Right. So these moderate Republicans, along with their Democratic allies on this issue, tried to stage a bit of a leadership coup by bringing up the special order of business, which allows them to call up when you have a majority, a constitutional majority, meaning a majority of the members of people that should be 
on the house in the house. So right. So last and it varies, but it, last end it was 101 votes they needed to bring this thing up. Exactly. So yeah, and so this bill, the reason it's been debated for so long, it's still on what we call second consideration. It needs three right. considerations, and the reason it's still on second is it has like 400 amendments filed to right. it, and that's one of the ones that Jason was talking about before is on there. It's just things that would really kind of change the nature of the bill. A lot of them are permitting changes that would make it less palatable for a lot of Democrats and environmental advocates. So anyway, that's what they're bringing up. And so this thing, they started at, what, at like 9 p.m.? Um, well, somewhere yes. around so there, there. Was, there was another little procedural. There was a lot of reading out of, like, the House rules. They all and, had their little rule books out. This yeah. was a very, I, I mean, maybe it's not interesting for everybody, but this was, like, a very dramatic thing. Everybody was being very uh, dramatic about it. Yeah, so, so there was, whether they could call up the special... Um, order of business. Special order yeah. of business. Exactly how many votes were needed, when they could do it, what it would mean if they ended debate. Because, of course, you know, people who didn't like the severance tax tried to adjourn, which is a precedential motion over everything else. Right. And all this stuff kind of happened all at once. And it, it got really crazy. But yeah. long story short, they came up one vote shy <laughs> of the ability to bring up the bill. Yeah. And that was strategic because they brought that up on Tuesday because they also planned, it was my understanding, to call the previous question on the bill, which would have ended that second consideration mm-hmm. process, and then bring it up on final consideration in the House on Wednesday. Now, right. since this thing didn't happen on Tuesday, they didn't do it on Wednesday because they would still have to wait till after the new year to bring it up on final consider final consideration anyway. Right, and so we heard a lot of speech making. Um, <laughs> yes, on the, the rules. On, on the rules yeah. specifically, not even on the bill. Although some people did talk about the bill. Um, you know, we heard from uh, House Majority Leader Dave Reed, who told everyone that they would rue the day yeah, they superseded the, the rules to bring this thing up. Yeah. Um, he, was, he had very strong opinions on that. Uh, we heard from, actually, he got yelled at for this, but Representative Greg Vitale, a Democrat who has long supported this tax, got up to speak against it because yeah. of all the amendments that he doesn't agree with. And right. then they told him, Greg, that's not what we're talking about right now. Sit down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, and, you know, we had uh, a lot of the moderate Republicans saying we have to do this now. Um, but really, I mean, what it's broken down to is this is a huge political issue for Governor Wolf. Yep. It's a big political issue for a lot of moderate Republicans and, you know, moderate Democrats, too. But the you know more liberal Democrats, ones that care about environmental policy, are sort of like, oh, we can't really do this right now. It doesn't. Right. It's not actually a good bill for them anymore. And that's why this issue has taken so long to get done because yeah. you have these little groups on this issue that have their core concerns. So you have you know the really conservative Republicans who are going to be against this for a number of reasons: economic, uh, a, a hesitancy to tax anything. Sure. Um, and then you have some of those who are also running for for governor who have been supported by the natural gas industry in the past as well. So that that plays a component in it as mm-hmm. well. Um, and then you have moderate Republicans, or, or let's let's face it, you know, more liberal-leaning Republicans from the Southeast who want this because you know it's a way basically for the rural regions to help bring tax money into the Commonwealth and take some of the pressure off of the Southeast and Pittsburgh from having to be the tax drivers uh, in in the economy. Plus, you know, it's something that their districts really want, right? So you have that. Then you have more conservative Democrats who don't want this because they come from the drilling region. They've seen the benefit of the jobs, all this stuff, and they don't want the tax in the industry to leave. And then you have the environmental, very liberal Democrats who hate the environmental giveaways to these things and don't think that any amount of money basically that this tax would bring in would be enough to make up for the fact that these companies are taking away natural resources from the ground, which Pennsylvanians, by a constitutional right, almost have 
access to and, and control over. So right, right. you have four main things, and then you have sub-factions in those things, too. So, so it's just a messy situation, and I think it was summed up nicely at the end of the debate. It was almost like 11, right? Um, right. Somewhere around there. <laughs> they ended, they adjourned for the day, they were coming back in at 8.30 in the morning, and all the micro- all the cameras shut off, and then you just heard Speaker Mike Terzai and his microphone, which was still on, go, oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, then he shut his mic off. But um, so that was the severance tax. Now we still have there's several other um, just legislative things I want to get through quick. Um, unemployment compensation uh, funding that was one of the things that we've been debating for about a year. Yeah. That's the system where uh, you know jobless workers can get you know make claims and get their unemployment compensation money. That system's been underfunded. Uh, it laid off a lot of people last year. And just, you know, now there's finally an agreement to fund it. Uh, and so that was a long time coming. Yeah, this this is a, um, dec- you know, not decades, years worth of funding, hundreds of millions of dollars spent on trying to upgrade the technology right. of the UC call centers. And this basically bill that is now on the governor's desk and which he said he will sign provides a quote-unquote exit ramp for the state funding. So it provides $115 million over four years to the UC system to try to get these technology upgrades done, yeah. bring back some of the staff that's been laid off and, and in order to pro- improve UC customer service, uh, while at the same time sort of weaning the system off of state funding so that it can be federally funded, which will get about $130 million a year after the fourth year. So Yeah, so a lot of Republicans want to wean the state funding out, uh, wanted to do it more quickly, but want to do it this way. They support it. Governor Wolf has said he wants to keep state funding in there. So, I mean, he's got four years to figure out exactly how he's going to do that, and then he'll be gone. So um, it's their solution for now. Um, Sort of in the same vein, something that they did come to an agreement on, we reauthorized CHIP funding, so the Children's Health Insurance Program. Uh, That went to the governor as well. I don't know if he signed it yet. but No, he said he will, but again, this is noteworthy because it is absent the uh, removal of state funding for transgender reassignment. Surgery, uh, surgery yeah. and counseling and stuff. So that was being done in a separate bill, which has not been re-brought up since right, right. the House decided they couldn't do it a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So people who opposed um, this, you know, this children's health insurance program funding transition surgery for you know under eighteen transgender people. Right. Um, people who opposed that being funded by the state uh, wanted to insert this language into the chip bill. That was a very controversial move, um, and they ended up axing that out. And so they're going to attempt to do it in another way. Um, but also, I think chip funding, we should note, uh, the federal chip program still is not really funded by you know the Trump administration. So we right. actually are still a little bit in limbo on this, but the state's done its part. Yeah, the state's point. done its part. The federal government needs to reauthorize the chip yeah. funding. Uh, if they don't, this stuff kind of doesn't matter, but... Um, if they do, Pennsylvania, like you said, has done the lift that they need to do to, to get it. Exactly. Done. So that's UC and CHIP. Those were pretty easy things. Uh, something that I thought was interesting that did not get passed this week was a uh, quote-unquote paycheck protection bill. Yes. Um, that was a uh, – it's an education bill favored by um, a lot of Republicans. Um, and what would that have done? Well, essentially what this would have done is prohibited the automatic deduction – from oh, it's public not an education bill. It's that's a, well, that's a, it was uh, it's sponsored by John Eichelberger, yeah, yeah, who's yeah, chair of the why. Senate <laughs> Education Committee, uh, who that would end the automatic deduction from public employee paychecks of union political action committee contributions. So, yeah. um, this is a, a more restricted version of paycheck protection, where some would not allow them to collect dues out of the paycheck um, or political. <laughs> Um, contributions whatsoever. This is just the PAC, PAC money 
Yeah. Um, so there's a there's sort of it's been kind of couched as a moral philosophical debate about right. whether the state should be in the in the business of collecting political action committee money on behalf of a labor union that is in effect in a position to negotiate with the state for better benefits and money for their employees right. while they could use to run these campaigns against yeah. the state as well. And so, in practice, it's not actually that much money. It's literally like $100 that actually costs right, to deduct a these things. de minimis cost of the state on that. Right. But, uh, again, it's sort of a, a moral issue that right. they're saying it is. But um, anyway, so that, that failed. That failed, yeah. And I think this was more one of those things that they said they would they promised, leadership promised to bring up and give it an up or down vote as a sort of a promise on some budget stuff. Yeah. And it happened. And, I mean, it's rare you see it happen, so they're must have been more going on behind the scenes because hardly anything ever comes up on the House floor and, and fails. Yeah, so that's why it was players. unusual. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, and a lot of, obviously, unions opposed that. They said it was a union-busting measure. Uh, yeah, Democrats. and the governor said he would, would veto it anyway. Yeah. So. so that happened. Um, <laughs> just moving through the list here. We had, um, let's see. Oh, so I want to bring up um, an interesting thing that happened in the Education Committee. Now, this is not a bill that got to the floor. Um, It's a bill that – usually we wouldn't talk about this. It's a bill that was supposed to be called up into committee. It didn't get called up. That happens sometimes. Nobody cares that much. But this bill was interesting. Um, So I guess let's start by talking about what the bill is. It's education vouchers, or they're calling it an education savings account. Yes. But it's essentially a voucher program that would basically let students – take the cost or the money that the state would have spent on their education and put that state money toward a private school education or some other alternative like parochial school, homeschooling, right. take that money, use it elsewhere. Right. Or, I mean, the difference between this and vouchers is that vouchers would have to go directly to the, the private school. Right. Um, but this allows students and families to use it for books or uniforms mm. or any other school-related costs. So yeah, you have so that. That's why so, it's a savings account. Yeah, and it's uh, Senate. So Senate Bill Two. And the interesting thing about this is when they brought it up in the Senate Education Committee earlier, it seemed to pass by a <laughs> six-to-five vote, and then a late-filed proxy. Um, caused the thing to be tied, and then they canceled the vote because there was a uh, that, that kind of caused a bit of a stir. So then they needed to bring it back up, but before they did that, they wanted to change the committee makeup. At least that's my, you know, sort of the, the thing behind the scenes here, right. because there's two Republicans that voted against this bill. One of those Republicans is a freshman, uh, Dan Laughlin from Erie County. He's a Republican. And um, he was kind of in the center of all this this week, where I guess he said he asked like six or eight weeks ago to be removed from the committee. He was unclear about when he asked, and he yeah. wouldn't tell me what date. Yeah, and so he, uh, he requested to, to resign from the committee so that he could work on economic development issues. Um, and from there, things kind of get murky because he doesn't really explain why he decided if he doesn't think that this... He said, this isn't a good thing for Erie School District. Which is why he voted against it in the first place. And then he didn't really have a good answer as to why. He just said no comment as to why he requested to be removed from the committee if his vote would potentially cancel this out. And his vote really... I mean, his vote would cancel it out. He said he hasn't changed his mind. So if the vote stayed the same way it did when it failed before, I mean, it would fail again. Right. And this is a big controversial thing because this basically takes state money directly away from public schools and gives it to, to private private schools or or families for use. Uh, so it, it takes money away from failing schools that are already failing right. that, that they claim these schools need more money. 
and gives it to other schools. And so that's a big thing it in public education. It also takes students out of those schools. Right, so, exactly. I mean, you know, a lot of like, the proponents of this bill say, well, it's choice. These kids should have choice. We're you're facilitating that choice. Right. Uh, you know, opponents say, you're just killing public schools that already aren't doing well. So yeah. that doesn't help the students who are still there. Uh, so anyway, that's why the bill is really controversial. Uh, it's pretty partisan usually, but again, we have some Republicans who oppose it. And now we have found out uh, Dan Laughlin's replacement. He was officially moved off. So this, the bill, the vote on the bill was canceled because they were still figuring out all this personnel stuff right. this week. Uh, but Laughlin was moved out by the end of the week, and he was replaced by Rich Alloway, who's, who's uh, in Ad- Adams County. Is that where he's from? He, uh, Adams Franklin. Adams and Franklin. Part of Cumberland, County. I think. Yeah, yeah. So Rich Alloway is a co-sponsor of the bill in question, Senate right. Bill Two. So one would think he would probably vote in favor of it. Yeah. Um, so you know, I don't want to draw any conclusions about what people were trying to do because we don't know for sure, but it yeah. certainly seems like the makeup of the committee was changed so that this bill would have a better chance of passing. Yeah, I mean, I think we set the stage for people to draw their own conclusions right. on, on exactly what was going on, but, um, I mean, you know, it kind of is what it is, but I don't think we'll see this bill, you know, at least, I mean, obviously the legislature's not here, but <laughs> I don't think we'll see it for a little while yet just as people are trying to make up their minds. And, of course, they're... They are trying to work out an amendment, too. So that yes. was uh, something that Senator Eichelberger, who chairs the Education Committee, said. Um, and I thought it was kind of funny, a little bit of subtext, about how Senator Eichelberger and his Democratic counterpart of the committee, Senator Dinneman, now were talking about rolling back some funding that the Erie City School District mm. got uh, after the work of Dan Laughlin to try to save them out of a financial picture. So it seems like, you know, hey, look, you know, again, we're, I'm not saying that this is actually going to happen or what's behind it, but it's like, you know, we're going to take, we're going to, we're not happy about that. We're going to make sure that we try to voice our concerns about that money. And you're also leaving the committee at the same time. So, so right. Yeah. It, it could have been sort of, and this does happen a lot. This wouldn't be an unusual thing, but sort of a political exchange where maybe they wanted Laughlin to vote for this bill. He right. had gotten the money he wanted for Erie schools. Now he's off the committee and he didn't vote the way that they would have preferred. So I don't know. I mean, you can see yeah. how these committee situations work sometimes. Right. And even if we're, we're, we're misconnecting the dots, it right. just is not very convenient in how they're coming together either. Yeah. So. And I think we haven't also been told very much about exactly why Laughlin left the committee. So, you right. know, that leaves things open to interpretation. Sure. So if anybody who's listening um, has a different perspective on what exactly happened in this committee, Jason and I would love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that happened. Happened this week. I thought it was really interesting. Um, we also had just again to finish up our talk about this legislative stuff. We had several bills that passed that are you know, uh, they're uh, being touted as budget reform bills. They're Republican-backed bills that would largely kind of hem in the governor's authority during budget impasses. They would you know, you know restrict the options that he has. So, so what what are it's like six bills? Yeah, I, I don't know each each and every one of them in, no. in specific we detail. Can talk about the I, well, I have stuff. I have written on it, so I know I know a little bit that I can talk about. One yeah. one is one that would disallow a budget bill from being signed or being like lapsing into law, as has been done with the last three budgets, without a certified revenue estimate and having that budget be balanced according to that revenue estimate. So right. basically it would disallow something like happened this year where the $31.99 billion budget became law, but everybody knew there wasn't the money to fund it. So that would prohibit that. Another bill would basically require more disclosure by the administration on the amount of special funds and what they're used for. 
um, things like that. The other would require the governor to introduce a, a, an actual budget bill or a budget bill to be introduced within a certain period of time after his budget address. Right. Um, and, and one bills, that, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think there was one, right, that uh, it would uh, – did you mention this? It would kind of – if he wants to make a supplemental appropriation after the budget's oh, been right. passed, he would have to, you know, do make a lot of documentation for why he needed that right. and also create a plan for how to fix this deficit. That sure. It, yeah, that's enough. one of the bills for sure. So uh, anyway, so you, you get the picture of what all these things do. It, I mean, I think it's accurate to say they kind of give the governor less um, personal authority in budget matters. Yeah, and the Democrats made a point, and I think uh, Appropriations Committee Democratic Chairman Joe Markosik said right. this is a move by the Republicans who have controlled the process for the last eight years to scapegoat the process for why they couldn't lead. Now, you can – That's you can, his perspective. That's his perspective, right. So take that what you will. But um, pretty much everybody on the other side of this issue, meaning Democrats and the governor, have said this is an abdication of the legislature's role in, in budgeting because um, they're the ones that, that need to budget. The governor's role is basically to give the budget address and then to sign whatever it is. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, of course, he has a role in negotiating it because, right. you know. Well, he has to sign uh, it. Exactly. Right. <laughs> but uh, I, I also think, um, and this was a point that was being made by Democrats, that uh, one of the possible, uh, you know, Outcomes of this could be uh, Republicans in the legislature who generally want spending to be lower. That's their prerogative. Um, they could try to underfund programs and then give that to the governor and say, okay, freeze some spending because we can't pay for all of this. Right. You know? so, uh, and that's sort of what has been happening in recent budgets anyway. We pass you know, a spending plan that we can't pay for, and then we really have to dig deep or you know, figure out crazy creative ways to fund everything, which included this year borrowing a billion and a half dollars. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, I think there is some general dissatisfaction with the way budgeting has been going. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also important to note it's unclear whether where these bills are going in the Senate. Yes, yeah, so that's um, true. Who also has their own reforms in mind, like per diem reform. Um, and I think one or two budget reform things that aren't nearly as drastic as the House stuff. But I mean, who knows? Look, you know, these are usually big lifts and we only have so many months now before the next budget happens. And <laughs> it happens in February. That's when we start talking about it in public, at least. But they're already thinking about it. Right, exactly. And um, then, you know, basically how election year stuff goes is that you have a very busy summer. But once June 30th happens, everybody wants to get out of town and campaign and look like they're a functioning and, and competent government. So, <laughs> um, you know, really, we only have maybe like 12, 12 session weeks left. Yeah. And so who knows with things like this that are you know, really more policy documents than anything else, what's going to happen. Yeah, they're big lifts, but this is in the air. I think there's a lot of dissatisfaction on both sides of the aisle about how the budget process has gone. Yeah. So that's out there. All right, now we'll move into a couple of things that weren't necessarily uh, policy-based. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Mike Stack yes. has been under investigation from the Inspector General's office since, right. I think, April. Um, and that was at the behest of the governor. This came after allegations that Mike Stack and his wife Tanya were verbally abusing staff members, their police detail and other home staff that uh, were in their mansion, which the state provides for them to right. live in in Fort Indian Town Gap. Now, uh, Governor Wolf decided not to release that report. How come? Well, he just said it would be piling on. He yeah. said the Stacks have been through enough. Uh, Mrs. Stack has been was admitted to the hospital due to stress over this incident. I believe she's still receiving treatment. Yeah. And the governor said that's enough. I, I reviewed the report. I wanted to make sure that nobody was being mal you know this mis this treatment would end uh, and that everything was on the level. He says I feel as though I've accomplished that. And 
I don't need to do anything else. And of course, the lieutenant, the lieutenant governor was thrilled. He thanked the governor for his support and looking out for his family and all that stuff. Um, but Republicans have said this is a significant lack of transparency on a governor who's prided himself on being transparent. So um, you kind of have that as well. An interesting also component to this, too, is that the Senate this week advanced a bill that would change how the lieutenant governor is elected, which mm -hmm. right now they run independently, the governor and the lieutenant governor doing the primary. This would allow the governor then now under this new bill to much like the president basically appoint or name a lieutenant governor candidate after the primary. So yeah. um, this sort of, you know, they're kind of like go hand in hand. There's some displeasure with this forced marriage of lieutenant governors <laughs> now, particularly in this relationship where Wolf and Stack have had an on-again, off-again, mostly off-again relationship. Right. Um, and nobody believes that that's a good thing for the Commonwealth. Um, casinos... Uh, casinos, the yeah. auction process for miniature casinos, which was a part of uh, the budget bill that just passed a couple of months ago, right. um, they that's started. Um, yes. So this is again just we'll, we'll start. The, the, oh, the sorry, gaming yes, control board this week soon. laid out that process right. for when that will start and how that'll start next year. Yeah, and I mean I don't think we covered it in too much depth, but this is just I mean this is that getting underway. Um, there are some pretty you know weighty revenue expectations sitting on this bill yeah, on the miniature million casinos. Or something this year. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting, I mean, gambling expansions in the state have uh, notoriously come in below revenue expectations. Right. So um, that's something to be watching for um, and just kind of just, you know, monitoring how this rollout goes. And I know there's litigation expected about this bill anyway, so who knows how that will tie things up. Exactly. And so the reason I bring that up, um, just the casino stuff starting, is uh, we had a budget briefing this week. Yeah. Kind of to cap off a nice, fun uh, busy week. Um, Budget Secretary Randy Albright does a, a mid-year budget review every year. And uh, he said this year that the, gov that the state's doing way better than it ever has than it has since the Great Recession, I think yeah. is what he said. So what was what was the upshot of this briefing? Well, they think they're going to end the year with a surplus. A small um, surplus. Yeah, surplus. about 40, 41 million, and then maybe 10 million moved into the rainy day fund, so mm -hmm. 31 million left over to start the next year, which is a lot better than the $1.5 billion hole we started the current year with. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, there's some controversy as to whether that is going to be sustainable in the out years. The Independent Fiscal Office said that there's going to be about a billion-dollar deficit after the 1819 budget. Secretary Albright said, we don't think that those numbers are, are accurate. Um, and so there's been a little back and forth in the last day about that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the idea here is that, you know, they, they don't feel as though going into next year they're going to need any broad-based taxes, any major revenue enhancements, uh, and they're going to be able to pay all the state's books, uh, bills this year without the need for any supplementals. So that's all good news. Now, whether that's, again, sustainable in the coming years is probably up for debate now. Secretary Albright said the 18-19 budget is going to be rather austere, yeah. which probably means not a lot of increases in discretionary spending and probably a call for another severance tax. And I believe the IFO said if you limit it just to non-discretionary non increases, you're looking at a deficit around $600 million. Right. But we'll also have to see how revenues come in and how that impacts all that stuff, too. So I think the good news is, is that we're no longer looking at a $3 billion year-after-year structural deficit. Sure. At, at the very most, that's about a billion dollars now. At the very least, around $600 million. According um, to the IFO. According, according like, to the IFO. Maybe even mm -hmm. less according to the Wolf Administration, who has better contact with the agencies about their expenditures and their needs and all that stuff. And, and worth noting, though, I mean, the Wolf Administration generally does stay in line with the IFO's projections, and the IFO right. has, you know, they're standing by their numbers. They're not saying they made a mistake or anything. They're no, saying, they were. They doubled down and said, we still <laughs> believe we're right. 
So. Yeah, they said they think the administration's expecting too much from their gambling revenue, which I, I it's probably possible. Right. Um, and a couple of other sources of revenue they don't think is going to come in as expected. So they're, I mean, you know, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, usually the administration and the IFO have been pretty on par with each other. So this year it would be, you know, different. Yeah, the IFO has been one of those things since it was created in, in 2010 where where it's been like, okay, well, we agree with the IFO, which in sort of democratic parlance means we agree with a Republican-created agency, uh, and so the Republicans should agree with us. And then when they disagree, it's also like, well, we don't feel as though they're accurate. I mean, yeah. it, it's sort of like a it's sort of like a, a way, a kind of like a, I don't know, like a way to like sort of like have a, sort of like a proxy war over numbers. Exactly. But. Yeah, I mean, the IFO was created so that, like, in theory, everybody would have one set of numbers to work off of. There's right. supposed to be a nonpartisan agency. Um and really what it ends up being is if you agree with the IFO, that gives you sort of a thing in your back pocket to say, listen, we have these numbers too. Right. Or if you disagree with the IFO, you can be like, well, what do they know? Yeah, right. <laughs> they're, they're a partisan, creatively created thing. Yeah. There was a bad of a budget negotiation. So So anyway, I think, uh, you know, going into his reelection campaign, Governor Wolf is been, and I think this is fair to say, he's been touting his, you know, his uh, accomplishments in the last year, which is a lot of what Randy Albright, the budget secretary, was doing yesterday. Yeah. Um, it does help if you're running for re-election to not be looking for broad-based tax increases and to be saying, listen, our budget's fine. So something to watch for going into the next year is how the Wolf administration, again, uh, presents their accomplishments and their fiscal position. Yeah, it's not going to be a, a, an easy build, but um, it is an election year, and that plays, too, into how the budget's crafted and presented it and gets done. Is. So, um, Yeah, generally we see sort of uh, budgets that are, I don't know, less difficult during election years. How do you – well, the phrase that? there's more urgency to agree and yes. get it done on time. I'll say that. I, that is true. All right. Um, I think that was the last thing we should hit for today. Anything else you think we missed, Jason? That was a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, no, we, I think we hit all the high notes, uh, a lot of high notes. I'm sure we um, – in trying to think about other stuff that, that I wrote on, but I don't think that there was anything that um, – you know, we should disrupt people's holidays over. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's where it stands. The legislature is going to be back uh, for one day in January early on and then not until the end of the month after that. So we can enjoy a nice respite from legislative activity. Yeah, a couple until weeks. Then. A couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that about does it. So everybody, have a good Christmas. Yeah, uh, happy happy holidays. Han- happy holidays. Yep. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, <laughs> Kwanzaa, from, Kwanzaa. I, don't, I don't know when you'll be back on this thing, but... Right, that's true. We'll just cover all of our bases. Just and happy Martin Luther King Day. Happy Martin Luther King Day. We're celebrating everything. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening. Jason, thank you for being here. Thank you, Katie. Have a good holiday.